Well, good morning. Oh, good morning, friends. Yeah, it's great to be together. Uh, I I had to double check. Is this I'm on now? Because I I had it on, and then we sang the song. I just had to make sure that you guys didn't hear me singing out loud. Um, although it is good to make a joyful noise to the Lord. Um, friends, it is great for us to be together. Can I um, just pray uh, as we jump in? Heavenly Father, it is just so marvelous and wonderful to think of our Saviour. Father, this morning right now, we pray that you might lift our minds and our hearts to these wonderful truths. These wonderful truths how you have been at work throughout the ages to bring about salvation, that we can have peace with you that we can know certain hope and security because of the Lord Jesus. And Father, we pray that that might just be like water to our soul, that we'll just drink it and drink it. And Father, we pray we'd never go sick of this message, but you would embed it deep in our minds, in our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, this morning I want to ask you, do you realise what you have in the Lord Jesus? Do you realise? Do you realise what we have in Jesus our Saviour? My aim is just to help us uh, remind each other and refresh ourselves on how good it is that we have Jesus as our High Priest. Now, you're aware we've been working our way through this a whole term, but this is written originally thousands of years ago to a group of Christians who had come from Judaism And they had started well, but they began to suffer for their faith and they were tempted to walk away. Now, the the interesting thing for this group of Christians isn't that they wanted to walk away from God completely. They didn't want to turn their back on God. No, they just wanted to kind of move away from the uniquely Christian way of relating to God. They wanted to come back to their previous way, to their to their Judaism. Is that right? I, I was saying it this morning and I was saying it wrong and uh, Miriam's like, no, it's Judaism. Now I'm freaking out that I'm saying it wrong. Someone say it. Judaism. Judaism. Yes. Do you know how you get, I get a word and it's like my brain can't get out of it. Anyway, I had some horrible weddings where that's happened and I'm sorry to those people. Um, but they're, you know, they're moving back, not away from God, but just into a different form or expression into their old Judaism form of it. See, they're going from the reality back to the shadow. And you can understand, right? These people. uh, Judaism was um, a protected religion back then. Uh, It was uh, for Christians, they were getting persecuted. So you think, man, surely it's easier, uh, more comfortable. It's going to be easier in this life if I just go back to what we had. Now, the, the elephant in the room is, I don't think any of us are thinking of going to the priest's sacrifices, Judaism, are we? I mean, hands up if you are, and I can put a couple of things into my talk to try to help. But I just think that is the furthest thing from our mind, isn't it? Uh, it's, and, you know, to argue that what we have in Jesus is better than the old covenant, you think, yeah, really? I didn't even think there was any, you know, I didn't even think about that. Like there's, there's no point. It's like trying to argue that Messi is a better soccer player than I am. It's like, yeah, whoop-de-doo. <laughs> I know. Uh, don't care. Um, 
But I think, I think the temptation and danger for us actually is a little bit similar to the original hearers. It's not that I think uh, Christians want to leave God altogether, but I think we could just be tempted just to, um, you know, go quiet on God in the public sphere. Uh, we can be tempted to kind of think, you know what, it's probably safer, better for my life if I just keep this religion stuff to myself. You know, it's, I know people, I've seen people who have put their head up and they've got shot. You know, last year we had Andrew Thorburn, remember, CEO of Essendon, like he just, you know, he had to choose between his job and his faith. I mean, under God and he, you know, he resigned, but because of, you know, the, um, the board's opinion that they didn't agree with Christianity on sexuality and abortion. And we hear that here and we feel the pull. I don't know, you, you might be experiencing it in your own workplace. Thinking, I, I just can't say anything about Christian worldview on humanity, on sexuality, on abortion. I, I just I feel like I can't say anything. See, I think it's that, that pull, that slow drift where you just keep your mouth quiet, think I'm not going to engage in this conversation because I'm going to, no one ends well out of this. Uh, but it, it just happens over time. That's the danger I think we're in. Uh, it's, I was chatting to a, a woman a couple of weeks ago who grew up in an, a church and would say she fully believed the Christian doctrines, but now as she has adult kids, she was reflecting to me that uh, two of them aren't with the Lord, but one of them is, and that she genuinely believes that they're both going to be okay. They're both going to be okay, even though they believe entirely different things, uh, because, you know, they're, they're okay people, they've been true to themselves, and they're not hurting anyone. See, friends, that's, that's a slow walk away from the Christian message at heart, isn't it? It's away from that Jesus is the only way. And it's really starting to swallow the Kool-Aid of our time that, you know, all paths lead to God. Uh, it doesn't really matter as long as you're genuine and sincere. This is what we, we're told, isn't it? That's the air we breathe. See, friends, we are in real danger, I think. We're in real danger just not to swallow what the world believes, but actually to stick with Jesus. And this is where he breaks in and he wants to remind us how good it is, how essential Jesus is for us. Now, he does that. I've got three things I want us to reflect on this morning. Uh, the first thing is, is because uh, Jesus brings a better ministry. Have a look in 8 verse 1 and we get this nice summary. Uh, you know, it's always good when someone says this is the point of what we're arguing. Uh, 8 verse 1, have your Bibles open. Uh, let's read it there. It says, now the point of what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Now, Hebrews is originally a sermon, so he's been arguing for, you know, he went up to chapter 8 to this point. And he's arguing that it's only in Jesus that we have a high priest, the priest that we actually need. You remember last week, uh, you know, who's ever thought about having a priest? Well, we were argued that we all need a priest because of the distance between God and us and that the priest that we have is not weak and dies but he's eternal, he's in the order of Melchizedek chapter 7 and he's not a high priest like us who's a sinner but he's holy, sinless, blameless 
and he's perfect forever. Therefore, consequently, he is able to save us and intercede for us. See, he's saying we have this perfect high priest who's able to bring us to God and God to us. It's not that, oh, there's a high priest out there. Uh, you know, isn't that great news? There's one out there. You know, uh, no, but we have one. This is our high priest. Uh, there is uh, a footballer, uh, Erling Haaland. Hang on, there's an image. How do you say this guy's name? I picked a wrong guy. Haaland. There we go. I like that. You know how many goals? 36 goals he scored in 35 games. There is an amazing footballer, right? Uh, but a Man City fan, what do they say? He's ours. We have him. Every goal he scores, we, we, he's, he's, he's good news for us. Here's the point. If you're a Christian, you have Jesus as your high priest. You cannot get any closer to God than him. In fact, he's done such a good job as a high priest, he now has his feet up. Did you notice that? He's seated at the right hand of God. Don't miss this point. Uh, Christ's sacrificial work is finished. <clears throat> Last week, it's a sacrifice once for all. He's done the work of paying for our sins. I mean, he's going to go on and unpack that in chapter 9, so I don't want to steal too much thunder. But that is a complete work. He is seated. He's not having to continually work and offer sacrifice for us. But the work he keeps doing now is of preserving his people. And he does that not in an earthly tent, in an earthly temple, but actually in the true tent, in the heavenly tabernacle. Have a look at that, verse 2. He says he's a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord has set up, not man. So he's saying we have this Jesus. He isn't in Jerusalem at a man-made temple, but he's in heaven He's in heaven now serving us in the true tent. His point, don't miss this. Don't miss who Jesus is. Uh, don't get impressed with the bling of robes and temples and old buildings uh, with huge fees to keep them up to date. What he's getting at is Jesus is the real deal. And what you had before was just a, it was like a model. It was, it was like a, a visual aid. It was a copy and a shadow. Uh, just, I know a month ago, here's a picture. Did anyone see this? Um, this is a, a real life Lego of a Mack truck, right? <laughs> can, can, you, can you believe that? Like, it, does it look real? Did you, it's, did you guys think this is a real Mack truck? No. No. You're, you're close enough, Manuel. Uh, this was done just, it only just completed about a month ago. It took over a million bricks. It took two months for them to build this, right? Uh, it takes them six days to build an actual Mack truck, two months to put the Lego one together. Um, <laughs> but this thing's four metres high, two metres wide, eight metres long. I mean, it, it's spectacular. It looks, it's amazing. It's, you know, you think, oh, man, take your socks off. How could you do that out of Lego? But I tell you, if you want to tow anything <laughs> or drive anywhere, it's useless. You know, it's useless. You're like, oh, good, I'll go pick up my, um, you know, my couch. No, nah. don't pick up your couch in that. But it's just, it's just a model. It's just a, a replica. It's a copy of the thing. 
That's the, that's the point the author wants to make about the Old Covenant, the Old Testament tent. Verse 5, he says, They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For men, when Moses was about to erect a tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See, you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. Okay? The old sacrificial system, the, the, the tent, the tabernacle, the temple, it, it's, a, it's a pattern of what was shown Moses on the mountain. Uh, remember, Exodus 25 is what he's qu- quoting there. In the book of Exodus, all about how God brings his people out of slavery. Uh, they, they meet God and then he rescues them. And he gives them careful instructions of how he will be their God and they will be his people. So he says, you're going to build this tent, this tabernacle, uh, so that wherever that goes, you can meet with God. Now, the point is that even way back then, right at the beginning, Exodus 25, this was only ever intended as a model. It was only ever intended as a pattern of the true heavenly reality that Moses saw. And he's just told, imitate that. Make, make that pattern here on earth as a temporary measure so that uh, we can have a way of meeting with God. See, the, it's, it was never the ultimate or the last thing. See, right now, though we cannot see him, Jesus is in this tent tabernacle now. He's physically, spiritually interceding for us. It's so much better than the temporary one-off sacrifices that priests did in a temple. Now, can you imagine, uh, you know, some of you have older kids. Uh, our kids, my kids are getting older and they're already asking for mobile phones. Uh, can you imagine, um, now, I would like to discuss when a good point of doing that is. I think never. I think, gosh, the amount of um, research going out, how damaging they are for our kids. Um, but can you imagine, you know, our kids say, can we, can we get another phone? And so you go, yeah, 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 and you cut them up, a cardboard cutout. <laughs> Here it is. Uh, keep that. You'll get one one day, but just keep that as a model. Can you imagine that when you get a real mobile phone, what do you do with the cardboard thing? Kids just like, whatever. Like, you know, that only lasts for a little bit, but it just throws it, throws it in the bin and, and grabs the real, legit mobile phone. Here's the thing. Jesus is eternally ruling. He's seated. He sacrifices once for all. He's interceding for you and I right now. And his point to the original guys is, don't go back to the cardboard cutout. Jesus is it. Jesus has everything you'd ever want. Now, what's the relevance to us? I don't know. Do you want to go back to a cardboard? I don't really want to go back to a cardboard cutout. But I tell you what, I do feel the pull of the world to soften the Christian message. It does. I do feel the pull to just keep my lips silent when I'm meeting the new people and they're talking about something about God and I think, oh gosh, if I throw this in here, I'm just going to be smashed. Friends, Jesus is the legit, real thing. Stick with him. Okay, that's the first point. Uh, Secondly, Jesus is so good because he brings us a new and better covenant. Uh, Verse 6. He says, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. 
That word covenant, it's you know, just basically an agreement between two people that establishes a relationship, like a contract. Uh, and in the old covenant, uh, part of the Old Testament, there was um, covenants between God and his people. Uh, you know, there was covenants set up about how they would relate and how they would uh, be his people and he would be their God. Uh, an example of a covenant that we read was in Exodus 19. Right? So there's a whole bunch of these agreements uh, in the Old Testament. You get them with Moses. You, know, you, get, you get them all through. Uh, and the, the main one is the Sinai Covenant, which this is talking about, which is the agreement with Moses. But have, uh, if you've got your Bible, flick to Exodus 19. But that, that one we read wasn't a covenant between God and his people after he'd rescued them out of Egypt. And he says to them, verse 5, he says, uh, Therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant... You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The key word there I want you to notice is the word if. <laughs> if you obey and keep my commands and my voice and my covenant, then, what's he side? Then you will be my treasured people. If you obey and keep the rules. Now, the people, they're pretty confident. Yeah, good thing, God, we got this. You know, whatever you said, we'll do it. How'd that go? Hopeless. A few days, essentially, at the bottom of the mountain, worshipping other gods, building calves. Uh, but, you know, this is a, an old covenant. If you keep, then this would be the, this is the agreement. Now, I reckon many of us don't really have a kind of formal agreement with God, but most of us kind of have a natural, informal one that we kind of resort into, don't we? If you were to ask the average Joe on the street, what does God want from you? You can call out this. I'm going to get you to give me some answers here. What does God want for you? Be good. Be good. Honest? Yeah. Go to church, maybe, yeah, some, yep. Repent. Average Joe, he knows a little bit more than the average Joe, this person, I think. <laughs> I, well, I, think I think that's right. Like, average Joe, you know, I want to do my best. Maybe I went to church. Uh, you know, I was loving and understanding to people. Maybe, you know, maybe there'll be a bit of, you know, I, I wasn't narrow-minded. You know, I tried to be a decent person. Bottom line of all those things, I think of an mean, informal. If I do, if I if I do enough, God will have me. Now most of us just assume that we have done enough or we will do enough. And actually, every religion in the world kind of has this agreement with God. This is how they kind of approach the gap between God and us by doing something. You know, whether it's about sacrifices and offerings or whether it's about a moral code, you know, living a good life or uh, doing good works, or whether it's rituals, incantations, rites, prayers, uh, meditations, um, or whether it's even just the transformation of your consciousness. You know, the, the ultimate reality, how you bridge it, is you kind of come to understand it within yourself. Uh, and so you kind of um, 
you're unenlightened, so you've got to become enlightened within yourself. See, what's the philosophy between all these is how do we relate with God? How do we bridge the gap between God and us, which all religions assume and know is true? And if you have a moment to think about it, that's what we all know to be true. Well, it's about keeping the rules. It's about, you know, doing what we can, trying hard. And basic assumption, yeah, sure, we're not perfect, but we're basically okay. And, you know, if we're sincere and genuine, then we should be fine. The problem with that approach and the problem with the old covenant is it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. Have a look, verse 7 uh, there. He's talking about the, the covenant God makes with the people who said, for if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. See, God says, I gave you a do covenant and you kept breaking it. I gave you a covenant which depended on you. It was the if covenant, the do. And the fault is with the people. The covenant never accounted for the issue of sin. Uh, which means that none of us had any chance of holding up our end of the bargain. Now, I don't know all of you personally, but I think if you were to try this old covenant, I don't think you'd be able to hold up the end of the bargain either. I know myself, I'm far from it, but I know I'm full of sin. It, it, it will, I, can, I can hardly do the things that I want to do, <laughs> not only the things that God wants me to do. But God says here in this great promise from Jeremiah, I have another covenant based on better promises, and it's a covenant of done. I will do it for you. I will forgive you, and I will enable you to live as my people. So this quote that we have there, the longest quote in, uh, that we have in the New Testament, or the Old Testament, is from Jeremiah. It's from 600 years before Jesus. And just notice how this new relationship, this new covenant, is all marked by done and not do. Firstly, notice that it's guaranteed by God. The issue with the first was that, and our sin was that we, we could never uphold it, but this one, God says, I will do it. Notice time and time again who it depends on, verse 8. He says, I will establish a new covenant. Verse 10, for this is the new covenant I will make with the house of Israel. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will be their God. Verse 12, he says, for I will be merciful. See, God will ensure that this relationship, this covenant is done, secure, rock solid. He keeps going, verse 10, he says, this covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after days, those days, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So he's, he's saying, I will go right into the inside of the people right to the very hearts of their fault. And he will transform us from the inside out. Instead of writing his laws on stone tablets, he'll actually write them on our hearts so that we want to obey God from the heart. Verse 11, he says, They shall not teach each one or his neighbour and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. They shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. See, God is saying, I'm going to do such great work that every single human person will know me. 
will know me deeply. He keeps going, uh, verse 12, for. Now that word there is for, it's the, it's the key reason why we can know God and obey God. Uh, for, he says, I will be merciful toward their iniquities. I will remember their sins no more. See, all this inner work of God is grounded in the fact that God will forgive us. It's grounded in forgiveness, not merit or performance. Now, this is the whole shape and trajectory the Bible's been taking us on. Old covenant, do, perform, based on merit, yet what's the reality? Fail, fail, fail. Now, have you ever thought, why did he give us a covenant that we we're going to fail in? Well, I think we, we get it so that we would learn and would see their example and see that our own human heart is just like them and we learn the lessons that they ought to have learned. See, the whole history of Israel is so that we can know that we can't get there on our own. We need forgiveness. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10 says that it's to, it's to teach us these truths and it's to drive us to this new covenant. Remember what Jesus said the night before he died? He said, you know, take and eat this. We celebrated two weeks ago, the Lord's Supper the blood of the new covenant, uh, shed forgiveness for you. Now, we're going to look at this forgiveness, not next week because we've got a three-week break, then we're back into Hebrews, term three, but we'll dig into this forgiveness that Jesus' death once off provides for us. Friends, all I'm saying is this new covenant is, is all done and nothing about doing in the sense it's a relationship which God ensures we can keep and that we can have it. Now, that's a pretty radical approach to God, isn't it? Every one average Joe assumes about what I do. God says, no, it's about what I've done for you. That's an amazing truth. And I think if you are here and you don't know assurance of your salvation, if you don't know your security you have, in Christ, and you're worried about what, when you die, what it's going to mean to meet God, I think that's possible because you don't trust Jesus. You're not a Christian. You're still trusting in your own way and works. Friends, don't stay with the, the fold-out cardboard phone. Go to Jesus. It's done in Him. Now, I have one last point I want to finish on, and this one's... Um, I found this really interesting, this last point. I mean, the first bit's awesome. Love, you know, forgiveness, can't, can't say no to that. Um, but I, I, I think what the author is getting at is that the whole point of the New Covenant is it actually works. Um, see, if, you, if we just read Hebrews 8 and thought, yeah, old, old Covenant, good, New Covenant, better, then I actually think we've missed the point of Hebrews 8. I think we've actually missed the point that God is making to us is that actually um, we're not all religions don't lead to God. There's only one way to God, one path to God. And it's not like we're comparing them and you go, oh yeah, you choose whatever you want. You go back to Judaism, you can have whatever and Christianity will get there. No, he's saying there's actually only one way and it was always only intended to be one way, and that is through Jesus, our great high priest. Uh, so, 
I think we get this idea in the words, right? Verse 2, have a look there. We've got this true tent versus this temporary one. Verse 5, you get this language of this copy and this shadow. Uh, Verse 7, you get the necessity for a new covenant. Now, verse 13, have a look at what he says there. He says, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is already to vanish away. See, what he's getting at is that Christianity or, or um, the, the Bible always had this movement from the copy and shadow to its fulfillment. Always had this movement from um, the past and the fulfillment in the Lord Jesus. So it's not like, you know, this week I fixed our sliding door in our house uh, and I think I've heard about 15 times how happy that's made our family because it didn't work. And because it's in my study, so they slide in, they're like, oh, this door is so good. <laughs> this door is so good. And I'm like, yeah, I know, it's good. It's not like that. It's not just like an upgrade where you fix the wheels to what was originally going. This is the complete fulfillment. This is a complete replacement with the Lord Jesus. Uh, I think we've seen this, right? Chapter 4, when we're thinking about rest, you know, chapter 4, verse 8, if Joshua had given the rest, God would not have spoken of another day. See, we've got this whole picture of um, type, copy, shadow, fulfillment in Jesus. See, God had always planned for us to have our true rest in Jesus, and the Sabbath and the promised land was never going to fulfill that. We are waiting for that true rest in Jesus. Last week, we saw it in the priesthood. Remember? 7, verse 11, he said, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, uh, under it, the people received the law. What further need would there have been for another priest to arrive after the order of Melchizedek? See, throughout the whole Old Testament, God had been dropping Melchizedek into the mix. Like he gets two, two verses, well, actually a few more if you, if you think about Psalm 110, but to show to us that actually the Levitical priesthood is not it. <laughs> We're waiting on the eternal forever priest of, of, um, of Jesus. And today, he drops into the mix the covenant, the fault of the covenant. See, God has always planned to supersede the old covenant. Why would he promise in the middle of rest, in the middle of the Levitical priesthood, in the middle of the covenant, for there to be a future one that will actually do what they were intended to do, if it wasn't for that he'd planned for history, for millennia past, to bring about salvation to bring about the forgiveness of sins by fulfilling all these copies and shadows. Now, this, for me, it's a powerful point, isn't it? You know, you read this book and you think, this isn't just man-made. You've got 40 different authors operating over thousands of years all coming together in the person and work of Jesus. For, for the Jewish Christians... They need to hear that this is just a cardboard cutout. Don't go back to us. For us, it's obsolete. For us, I think we just need to see that this is God's hand at work. Give us assurance to keep going because he's always been planning to bring about assurance through his done covenant in Jesus. Friends, do you realise what you have in Jesus? It's good. It's really good. You know complete forgiveness. He changes you from the inside out so that you can willingly and joyfully obey. And friends, he's been planning this 
for thousands of years to bring it about in the Lord Jesus. And we have him at the right hand of God interceding on our behalf. What better hope and confidence do you want other than that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the risen, reigning, interceding,